My name is Joe Hawkins, and this is the History of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and 50 Objects Podcast. Welcome to the History of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and 50 Objects podcast. Well, we finally arrived. This is the last episode of this podcast series. Everyone keep a brave face. Let's dive right in. If you come from a Bible reading culture, you know the story of the Tower of Babel found in the Old Testament. The story goes that human beings collectively decided to build a tower so large it would reach the heavens thus bridging the gap between a fallen world of people and the divine. With our current 21st century understanding of the world and the outer space around it, we know the folly of this type of project. However, the story goes that God decided to confuse the people in their doomed tower. To forever break up this project, God cursed mankind with a smattering of new languages. Now, nobody could communicate with each other. The common bond that united humans in this rebellious project was broken. Divided, humans grouped up by their new languages and scattered across the eastern continents. Now, this Tower of Babel story isn't taught by the scientific community, but the message behind it still resonates around the globe. For example, we humans are all one species but divided by language, which is found in our global locations and has facilitated country customs, and cultures. Though different languages didn't create 19th century empires, they certainly divided them. In the year 1918, when the Great War ended, over 37 million people had died due to this tremendous clash. It seemed the thing that was separating us was now uniting us again in another project, that of war and death. So when peace talks concluded, a new entity emerged, one tasked with providing peace. In that effort, the League of Nations looked to attempt to eliminate that which was the core of dividing us, language. A new language was created, one they'd hoped would reunite humans under a banner of peace. The language was called Esperanto. They, the creators of it, imagined it filling up the earth and uniting us peacefully as humans with one language. Sure, We might attempt to build a tower, but we wouldn't wage generation-ending wars. Well, as history has shown, that one language uniting a peaceful world ultimately failed. Just 27 years later, world officials were again in Europe trying to put together the pieces of another catastrophic global war. Humans again united in war, this time to the devastating effect of almost 85 million deaths. At the conclusion of these peace talks, there was nothing said of a global language to unite us. Instead, the global powers decided to divide Europe in half. A wall straight through Berlin would be constructed to divide the country into. If language couldn't unite us, maybe a wall could save us from us. But what if those post-World War I planners were right? What if there is a language that could unite us all? If there is, what would that language look like, and how would it be taught? Today's object is 16 million testimonies, and it's the last object in this series. Let's fast forward now to the year 1978. 
There were just over 4 million members of the church worldwide. The Berlin Wall that was built by the Soviet Union after World War II was now considered the dividing line between Western Europe and the Eastern Bloc of countries controlled by the USSR. So serious were the Soviets about people not crossing this wall and defecting to Western Germany that passports were being revoked and people found attempting to scale the wall and cross undocumented were shot dead. At this time, many of the church's 4 million members were found in the Eastern Bloc of Soviet-controlled countries. These members of the church were frustrated. Not only were they living in impoverished conditions under Soviet control, but they didn't have access to church leadership, and just as pressing, they couldn't attend a temple. The church's closest temple at the time was in Switzerland, but that was on the western side of the wall. So, with all these members stuck in East Germany, a young Thomas S. Monson, an apostle in the church, stepped off a plane in the eastern side of the wall in Berlin to meet with officials from the German Democratic Republic. That's what the Soviets had named that portion of Germany in the Eastern Bloc. Elder Thomas S. Monson must have been nervous. Just 10 years previous to this time, in 1968, he'd visited these same members in the Eastern Bloc and felt inspired to tell them at that time that if they stayed faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ, they'd be able to participate in all the same blessings that members around the globe enjoyed. And that included visiting the temple. So here is young Elder Thomas S. Monson meeting with the East German officials. He had only one goal in mind. Convince the leaders of the German Democratic Republic to allow members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to attend the temple which happened to be on the other side of the wall in Switzerland. To this point, only a few retired couples had been allowed a working passport and released to Switzerland to attend the temple. But Thomas S. Monson had been preparing for this moment. He recorded in his journal in 1975 that he and a small group of church leaders while visiting eastern Germany had broken away from the crowds and made their way into the woods. There, the apostle recorded that he felt moved to rededicate the land in eastern Germany to the gospel. Specifically, Elder Monson recorded that he wanted Heavenly Father to, quote, open up the way that the faithful may be accorded the privilege of going to thy holy temple, end quote. So there it was. The local members were fasting and praying that the hearts of the East German officials would be softened. Well, the meetings began and Elder Monson poured out his heart and testimony to those German officials. He explained the importance of the gospel in the lives of the members. The covenants they'd made in those temples would draw them closer to God and in the process, help them see their neighbors as their brothers. So what do you think happened? Well, the leaders of Eastern Germany gave his words a lot of thought and something softened inside of them. They said to Elder Monson, rather than having your people go to Switzerland to visit a temple, why don't you build a temple here? in the German Democratic Republic. You can imagine Elder Monson's shock. On June 29th of 1985, the Freiburg Germany Temple would be dedicated for the members in the Eastern Bloc of Europe. Over 90,000 people toured through the temple at its open house. The gospel of Jesus Christ shone through the members in Eastern Europe. Maybe this was a language that could unite humanity. Just four years later, the Berlin Wall would be torn down. Now, since those meetings took place in 1975, the church has exploded across the globe. 
What was a church of 4 million members at that time is now a global movement of over 16 million people. In the last episode, we discussed the priesthood ban that was lifted from African-American members. Though a ban on the priesthood at the time was considered a serious point of separation, it didn't stop people throughout Africa from having dreams about the gospel and the missionaries that would be carrying it. After the ban was lifted, the gospel took off across Africa, as many of the people had spiritual testimonies already and were prepared to receive the gospel from the missionaries. Throughout the series, we've covered objects that helped forward the story of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But in the end, as we've discussed, temples can be torn down, books of Mormon can be stolen, gold plates taken by an angel. And what's left? What's left is 16 million testimonies. And that's what will carry the story going forward. So what is a testimony? In episode 21, we discussed what a testimony is and how they came about. If you want more detail, I'd recommend going back and listening to that episode. But to recap it in short, a testimony is the explanation of a spiritual witness a member of the church has received that helps build the foundation of their conversion. Now, where can you hear a testimony? Also, as mentioned in episode 21, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints take the first Sunday of each month to fast and share their testimonies from the pulpit at the respective chapels with practicing members in their neighborhood. If you'd like to see what that experience is like, you can find the closest chapel at lds.org, and all of those meetings are open to everyone. If that doesn't work for you, then here is mine. I add my testimony to the 16 million across the globe. Now, although I was born and raised in Utah in a strong LDS family, I had a very naive testimony that had never really been pressed or tested. It wasn't yet mine. I served a mission and worked hard and felt that I'd had a lot of success, but something happened in my mid-twenties. The fire just kind of burned out. The testimony I'd been raised with kind of ran out of gas. I still considered myself a believing member, but I wasn't really all that interested in participating in the church anymore. I knew the history. I knew the objects. They just didn't motivate me to do anything about it in my life. So long story short, one Sunday, my local bishop phoned me to tell me that our neighbor had overdosed on drugs. Kind of a scary situation. I didn't really know the person that well other than the passing hello. However, it turns out that she didn't have anyone close to her in her life. So when the bishop asked who should accompany him, she asked for me. I wasn't all that interested in going to a rehab center with a bishop on a Sunday, but felt I needed to try to be a good neighbor, so away I went. Upon arriving at the rehab center, I was shocked at the number of people that looked to just be hanging on by a thread, and the broken family members in tow talking them through their issues. I did my best to just kind of stand there, when out of the blue, she requested a priesthood blessing to help her recover. The good bishop asked who should provide that blessing, and she pointed to me. I stood there slightly shocked. It wasn't that I didn't know how or that I wasn't able to do it. I just didn't know her and hadn't been all that active in the church, and now here I was. So I kind of consented and was then shocked to learn that in a rehab clinic, you can't be alone with an addict. So we moved to the corner of the waiting area, and there I placed my hands on her head and gave her a priesthood blessing. At that moment, I felt such a movement inside of me. Something shifted in my understanding of God and my relationship to him and the people around me. When I finished, 
We looked up and most of the addicts were kind of just looking at us. At that point, a number of them approached us. I was nervous they were going to ask us to leave when many of them asked for a blessing too. So then and there, me and the bishop began to provide blessings to the addicts in this rehab center. Most of us were moved to tears and many embraced us on the way out. When I got in my car, my heart felt literally on fire. I've never reasoned myself into the church, but at that moment I'd found a language that can connect me to all of God's children. I found a way to become a better man, husband, father, and neighbor. That feeling that burned in my heart is the same that burns in my heart when I study the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. I know he died for me and was resurrected and lives. I believe I can lay at his feet my pains, my aches, my imperfections and sins, and they can all be lifted from my back, and I can find a brighter light. That same feeling that I feel in my heart when learning of Jesus Christ also burns when I study the prophet Joseph Smith. I believe he saw God in Jesus Christ. I believe he was blessed to translate new scriptures that help me better understand the role of Jesus Christ. I believe he restored God's priesthood on earth and established his church with all the proper functions and keys. When I started this podcast, my goal was to share a creative way of talking through church history. Through my readings and diggings into history, my testimony of this incredible movement has grown stronger, and I hope you found it beneficial too. So, that's it for the series. I hope you enjoyed this episode of History of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in 50 Objects, episode 50, 16 million testimonies, and mine. As always, if you have questions or comments, you can reach out to me directly at joehomc at gmail.com. And again, if you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to share it on social media or leave me a review on iTunes. It helps spread the word. Thanks again for listening and look out for our future series.